0: Cattle had been stolen, lightning strikes had killed the sheep and killed the herdsmen, a tornado had landed and demolished a house, killed the men and women inside, and the supply trucks were ambushed and the workers had been killed. Typical stories that would fit right into our newspapers today, but this is these are unique stories in that they didn't happen last week or yesterday, they happened thousands of years ago and all of these simultaneous events happened to one man or influenced one man. These are news reports from the first chapter of the book of Job and they are part of the deal with the devil that the Lord made to, um, say so we say, provide an attitude adjustment to Job. <laughs> and we'll begin in Job 1, 7 through 12, where the instructions of what happened in between the Lord and Satan we will review the deal and after we review the deal we will then then review a biological sketch of who Job was and then what all the players had to say about Job and there's eight players there's the Lord there's Satan there's Job's wife Job's three friend and a fourth man Elihu (laughs) and then we'll look at a few lessons that we can learn from our exploring and reviewing the job's plan or more correctly the job's plan. <laughs> Starting in the f- first chapter of Job and let's go to verse 7 No, <coughs> we'll make it 8. And the Lord said to Satan have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Now, note, the Lord brought the subject up. Satan didn't. You think maybe the Lord had already been considering Job and wanted to do something with him. This was not a spare of the moment. Oh, let's get Job. No, the Lord had been thinking about it. And notice what he says to Satan. He's blameless and upright. One who fears God and shuns evil. That's a pretty great authority when God himself says he's blameless and upright. So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? Have you blessed the work of his hands and his possessions? Uh, increased in the land. So Satan's argument is that, well, of course he's not. He's going to fear you. Look at all the great things you did for him. You gave him the goods. You gave him the riches and the wealth. But stretch out your hand now and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went from the presence of the Lord. And if we turn over to chapter 2, this is almost deja vu. Here we get it again. And the Lord said to Satan, Notice, the Lord is bringing it up. Satan didn't even bring it up. wonder why. Let's look at this. Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And still he holds fast his integrity, although you incite me against him to destroy him without cause. Was God criticizing or praising Job when he said he still holds fast to his integrity? Or... Was he goading Satan into doing something more? Because you see, nothing had been accomplished yet. Job is sitting there, getting more and more depressed and frustrated. And so Satan answers and said, s- says again, skin for skin, yes all that a man has he will give for his life, but stretch out your hand now that and touch his bone and flesh and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is your hand, he's in your hands, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils and the soul from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. <laughs> you know, this, you know, it all, it all, you almost want to read this like two guys sitting in a betting parlor taking bets on the Missouri-Arkansas game or something. You know, what, what's this guy going to do? But let's go out now and look and find out who Job really was before we go any further. It's really, I found it pretty interesting. First of all, starting in chapter one, verse three, we find out that he was wealthy. And we find out also in verse two, I think it is, he had seven sons and three daughters. So he was a family man, he was married and had a wife. We we find that out in chapter two, verse 10. And he had knowledge of burnt offerings, as it reveals to us in Job 1, verse 5. And he also knew Adam. And if he knew about Adam, then he most likely knew about Eve. Let's turn to thirty-one thirty-three and see the revelation that he gives us here. If I had covered my transgressions as Adam by hiding my iniquity in my bosom, Because I feared the great multitude and dreaded the contempt of my family, so I kept silent and did not go out to the door. The point is, though, he mentions Adam. So he mentions Adam. He probably knew about Eve, and he probably knew quite a bit more. But that's not all he knew. Let's turn to (coughs) 1925. Job 19, verse 25. Job says, and this is Job speaking, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he he shall stand at the last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall shall see God. Notice that? After my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. Interesting. But that's not all new. knew. Turn to Job 14, 14, back just a couple pages. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service I will wait till my change comes. You shall call, and I will answer you. You shall desire the work of your hands. For now you number my steps, but you do not watch over my sin my transgression is sealed up in a bag and you cover my iniquity. You think he knew about the Day of Atonement? Now let's find out something about Job's personal life, who he was in his day-to-day activities. Chapter 29 gives us uh, Uh, quite a bit of information about Job and I'm going to list it not sequentially through the chapter. I'm going to kind of chop it up a bit. (laughs) He had some level of power and prestige and fit a leadership role before other men. Chapter 29, 7 through 11. When I went out to the gate by the city, when I took my seat in the open square, the young men saw me and hid, and the aged arose and stood sign of respect and honor. The princess refrained from talking again. What do you do when the president or some dignitary walks in the room and everybody's moving around. Oop, there they are. Everybody goes hush, Everybody goes quiet. The voices of nobles was hushed and their tongue stuck to the roof of their mouth. Going on to verses 21 through twenty-five we find out that his opinions were greatly valued, greatly valued. Men listened to me and waited. They kept silent for my counsel. After my words, they did not speak again. And my speech settled on them as due. Again, he was looked up to as an authority person who had answers and solutions and it was worth listening to following his advice because things would work for you if you did. If I'm going, let's continue uh, in verse 25, I chose the way for them and sat as chief. So I dwelt as a king in the army and one who comforts mourners. So we're getting the picture of a man who had power, prestige, honor, and was looked up to leadership because of his demonstrated skills and abilities, not because he happened to have a title. Going back to verse 11 through 13, we'll find out some more about him. And when the ear heard, then it blessed me. And when the eye saw, then it approved me. Because I delivered the poor who cried out, book of James in the New Testament, the fatherless and the one who had no helper, the book of James in the New Testament, the blessings of a perishing man came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy, the book of James in the New Testament. And on 15 and 16, I was eyes to the blind and I was feet to the lame and I was father through the poor and I searched out the case that I did not know. So when someone came with a problem before him, he just didn't spout off a solution like we hear some of the politicians do. You know, a few years back, they asked some congressmen what was the difference between the Sunnis and the Shias over there in Iraq. They couldn't tell you. But they had plenty of solutions as to what, the diff- what, what should be done. Solutions without knowledge. Proverbs says you don't answer the matter without hearing it first. And in verse 17, which we already read I think, I broke the fangs of the wicked and I plucked the victim from his teeth. So he protected, he, he tried to eliminate those that were wicked and he protected the victims and he knew about the day of wrath. Let's turn to chapter twenty one verse thirty. Twenty one verse thirty. For the wicked are reserved for the day of doom. They shall be brought out on the day of wrath. So Job was quite a man. Power, prestige, honor, very wise, a leader of men. Now let's turn and see what the players said about Job's situation. And Let's begin with going back to what God said initially about Job. It's a repetition, we already saw that, but it's worthy of repetition. He is blameless and upright. He fears God and shuns evil. This is important to remember. He's blameless. Later on at the end of the 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 book we're going to find out when God interrogates Job what does he interrogate him about? The second person to talk about Job was Satan and it's interesting because he validated what God said. Satan says Job, Job fears God. He agreed with God. Well what's the result do you think of fearing God? If you fear God, what's in it for me? Let's go to Proverbs fourteen twenty six. Proverbs 14, verse 26. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. So Job would have an awful lot of confidence, wouldn't he? An awful lot of confidence. And if you have confidence, what's the result of having confidence? Let's go to Psalms 25. Psalms 25, 21. You guys can get there faster than me because you got the screens. You're going to have to wait on me. 25:21. Let integrity and uprightness preserve you. I wait for you. Had another, s- another scripture in there that talked about confidence and, and it related it back to inner integrity and uprightness. But that's, that's the result. So we can see why when Job got into his problems and God was giving him his trials with the confidence that he had and the integrity that he had and how he re- leaned on that and relied on that to preserve him he would be a tough nut to crack put it in modern terminology and what happened then after job has been sitting there for a while his three friends came and they saw job sitting there covered with ashes and boils they didn't even recognize him you can go to job 2 11 through 13 and they just sat down they didn't say anything for seven days and for seven nights his friends just sat there and didn't say anything because they recognized what the uh, what the desperate situation that he was in. But when they did come out and finally speak they said Job you sinned. God does not afflict righteous men. And Job says I did not sin. He maintained his his integrity. He relied on his integrity. And the conversation goes through a large part of the book and it gets sign- kind of insulting. I had some instructions in from scriptures here that would illustrate the insults that actually <laughs> they gave to Job, but I'm going to skip those for time. Um, let's go up to Job 32.1 and see the, the end of the discussions of Job's three friends. 32.1. So these three men ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. They couldn't get anywhere with him. It was nothing but a debate and an argument, back and forth, and nothing was being accomplished. And so the younger man, Elihu, came about. and Let's see what Elihu said about the three friends first. It's 32 verse 3. Also against his three friends his wrath was aroused because they had found no answer yet they had condemned Job. And what did Elihu say about Job? I'm going to go to verse 2. The wrath of Elihu, dropping down a couple lines, was aroused against Job. His wrath was aroused because he justified himself rather than God. Let's turn to Job 35, 1 through 3. Starting in verse verse 2. Do you think this is right? Do you say, and remember he's speaking to Job now, my righteousness is more than God's. For you say, what advantage will it be to you? What profit shall I have more than if I had sinned? If you sin, what do you accomplish against God? If you're tra- I'm dropping down to verse 6 through 8. If your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him? If you are righteous, what do you give to him? Or what does he receive from your hand? Your wickedness affects other men as yourself, and your righteousness, a son of man. And Job responded back in verse, chapter 34, verse 5. Job says, and this is out of time sequence, but nonetheless, this is interesting what he says here. For Job says, I am righteous, but God has taken away my justice. Shall I lie concerning my right? This is an interesting point because he's maintaining his, his integrity. And if he says, I've sinned, but in his heart of hearts, he knows he hasn't, what he's supposed to do? Lie about it? You know, if we don't know that we've sinned, am I supposed to say, oh, I th- that's being fake, isn't it? Well, I, I, I sinned, I did that. And I'm saying myself, in my heart, I didn't really sin. I'm just appeasing these guys over here because they don't know what they're talking about. So he was righteous even in that. He was not going to be disingenuous, if you will. What did Job say about Job? Let's go back to chapter 2, verse 10. Actually, it's his wife. It's interesting. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. (laughs) I think she had an insurance policy on him. (laughs) (laughs) But he said to her. You speak as one of the foolish, as a foolish woman speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? All this Job did not sin with his lips. It's interesting if you go through the entire book of Job and critique what he says you will see a change. Here, he is pretty philosophical about it. Hey, we get both good and adversity from God. Later on, he's going to be talking about, where is God? I can't find him. I don't have him. He won't answer me. I want to go to court and present my arguments to him as to why he's wrong. I'm right. This isn't fair. And then he goes further than that, and he gets to depression and is seeking death. And I think he had to go through that. If you've ever worked with anyone that has the type of problems that you might see in the television show intervention, I mean hardcore problems, they have to get down to a certain level, down to as low as can go before they're open to the solutions that uh, will really correct their point in life and help them on the correct path. And even then, as they dig themselves out of the basement, it'll be two steps forward and maybe one step back, maybe two steps back. But that's where Job had to get before God could do anything with him. Let's turn to 23, 1 through 7. This is Job speaking. Even today my complaint is bitter. My hand is listless because of my groaning. All that I knew where I might find him. He's looking for God and he feels God isn't there anymore. Of course, God is right there that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Let's go to court. You're wrong. I want my my opinion before you. I would know the words he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in his great power? No. But he would take note of me and there the upright could reason with him and I would be delivered forever from my judge. <laughs> so that's Job's attitude. And that's exactly is why he is going through this. Turn to chapter 40. Verse 1, Moreover the Lord answers Job and says, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct the Almighty? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. That's Job he's talking to. And Job responds and says, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer twice. But I will proceed no further. Earlier he wanted to come before God's court and present his arguments. Now he's saying, I'm not saying a word. (laughs) Quite a change, I think, in Job. continuing in verse 8 of the same chapter. Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you, could, that you may be justified? And at that point, God goes on and begins his course on the um, uh, omnipotence of his power. So what can we learn from this review of Job? I have like six points here I think I'll probably only go through two or three. (coughs) One is when evaluating situations be careful about assigning actions to God. As we'll see in a minute here over in verse 42 the three friends spoke incorrectly about God and God told Job to tell them to go out and do a sacrifice and then after Job prayed for them they would be alright with God again. And they would be forgiven. So the first lesson is be careful what we say when we're in situations. There are four causes of situations that I, there may be more but I identified four. One is a satanic attack, what Job suffered. Another is time and chance. Another is direct or indirect results of your own decisions or the decisions of others, or the hand of God. Now going through a satanic attack, I've got a bit of a story here. Uh, it happened many, many years ago and the people that were involved are no longer around so we don't have to worry about, you know, that part of it. A lady had worked with, in a supervisory position, with people that didn't speak the language that she spoke. They were foreigners and she for weeks on end was, compl- was complaining how she was under a satanic attack because these people were screwing up in the job and she was getting in trouble with her boss. And somebody asked her one day, well, what do you do about it? I can't do anything about it because I don't speak their language. Wait a minute. You got people that aren't doing the job and you never communicate to them that they're not doing the job right because you can't speak the language. Now, do you think there's something you could do about this situation? Do you think th- the solution might be for you to take a course in their language or have them take a course in English? You see, lots well of times what we do if we deem something to be a satanic attack right away, we, oh my goodness, oh God save me, and there's nothing we can do about it. We don't look to ourselves to see what can we do about bringing about a solution to this problem. And it's safer, in my opinion, and this is Art Williams 1-2 or something, um, to assume that the situation is a result of your own decisions or decisions of others and look to see what you can do about it. Rather than go into your prayer closet and start praying to God and God is sitting up there saying <coughs> Well, if you had the wisdom of Proverbs 4, you would never be in this situation. I'm not going to do anything about it. You got yourself in that situation. Now, why don't let's use this situation to learn something. The second point is on reflectivity. There's a, there's a, a spot here in Branson. It's called Hannah's House of Maze of Mirrors. Have anybody been there? One person. If you've ever been there or any house of mirrors or maze of mirrors, you can understand how reflections can get real confusing. You can come in through and you go around a corner and you don't know where you came in anymore because you look back in the mirror and it shows a reflection of the opening down there. But you look over there and there's a reflection for the opening over there too. So you can get really turned around. But it is important to reflect when we get into the type of situation that Job is in or any of the serious conflicts that we might have in our life. It's good to reflect about where we are with God, what the scriptures are that might be to help us out, especially Psalms and Proverbs. One of the things that Job wanted to have in his, when he was in his reflective process was a mediator. Let's turn to verse chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 33. Let's stop in 32. For he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, and that we should go to court together. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. Well, we're fortunate because we have a mediator that we can take our shortcomings to. And Job didn't. But is it okay for a man to contend with God? That word contend can also mean strife. Is it okay for a man to do that? Well, in Genesis 32, we can see where a man did contend with Job. Genesis 32, you probably all know this story, but let's just review it. it, This story tickles me. I get a, a little chuckle out of it every time I read it. Um, Do I have the right one here? No, I don't think I have the right scripture. What I was looking for is when Moses is bringing the children of Israel out and they make the golden calf. And God says to Moses, your people are sinning essentially. I'm gonna paraphrase this, I don't have a scripture in front of me. Your people are sinning. And a few chap- a few verses later in